Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 24. We're talking about valuing yourself and undervaluing yourself. A weird thing about uh, job hunting is that when people are job hunting, unfortunately, they're often not feeling their power because the number one reason that people job hunt is because they lose their job. And the number two reason is because they either think they may lose their job or they don't like their job. So in all three scenarios, you're not feeling your power. You're feeling like, dang, I wish this wasn't happening. Either I wish I wasn't about to lose my job or I hadn't lost my job last month, or I wish I liked my job. Maybe I did like my job and then I stopped liking it. So in all three situations, people are in some degree of pain. And when you're in pain, when you're in fear, you're not feeling your power and you're not at your decision-making best. That's why it's so important to do certain things that we associate with job hunting when you're not job hunting. To keep awake with respect to your career, but our tendency is to fall asleep. And so the reason people undervalue themselves when they're out on the job search front or just even thinking about a job search is because they're already feeling that fear. If I had to go out there and represent myself to other companies, you know, would they find fault with my background? Would they find me worthy? That's why people undervalue themselves. I've done so much career coaching over the years, going back to when I was a baby HR person in the 80s and you do career coaching organically in an HR job, if you're talking with your employees and their friends and whatever partners, which you know I certainly did a ton of, because people are talking about, you know, what do you think would be the right job for me after this job? Do you have any ideas? I'm thinking about this. I, I'm doing this kind of work at this company now, and it's great, but one day I want to get into this, and this you know, our current employer doesn't offer this kind of job, like what kind of training would I need or how would I brand myself? So you're constantly doing career coaching as an HR person, even with candidates for jobs, right? And, and, and just the whole community around you. And one thing I noticed right away doing career coaching is how easy it is for folks to undervalue their own skills. It's, it's astonishingly easy, partly because we've been trained that nothing we do has value unless an authority figure in school or at work tells us it's valuable. And this is why it's when people, when people get ready to update their resume, I tell them, shake off the idea that your ex-boss, every ex-boss you've ever had and every critical voice, you know, that's ever been in your life is standing behind you, peering over your shoulder as you work on your resume, finding fault with the things you say. Either saying, no, you don't get to claim that accomplishment because it wasn't in your job description or your boss didn't know about it or something like that. Or, you know, um, or who are you? And, and people diminish themselves. I mean, it's striking. Every career coach will tell you the same thing. People diminish themselves because they've been trained to. And so part of our goal together here in this human workplace project and community is to buck each other up and say, no, you have incredible stuff because you really, really do. 
every single time that I have spoken in, in public to a group of job seekers or students who will be job seeking eventually as they approach graduation, you know, that type of thing, people start to share their stories. Their stories are incredible and fantastic and worthy and impressive and all this stuff, but we don't feel that all the time. And we need somebody who's not us to tell us, no, you have so much that you've done, it's crazy. We really need that person who's not us to validate us because we're used to a world in which we don't get to validate ourselves. We don't have permission to validate ourselves, right? So this is a skill that we're all learning is to get just a little bit outside ourselves. If you have a friend that can help you with this, that's fantastic. And if you don't, a journal can kind of be that friend. If you write down what you've been working on, your biggest accomplishments at each job, you know, figure out what kind of job you want to do next and then figure out what you've done that's related to that. Because I bet you in every job you've held, you've done something that is related to the job you want when you really give yourself time to think about it. You've done stuff that is related to the job you want in some way. Left brain, you know, correlation or right brain, energetic type correlation. We, we always wend our way toward the things we're good at and like to do, almost regardless of the job. Um, and so you, you look for those places of intersection, areas of relevance between what you've done already and what you want to do, and they're going to pop out. Give yourself time and give yourself permission because a lot of us don't typically give ourselves permission to think about our accomplishments and value them and value ourselves. So that's why I say most people that I meet undervalue their own skills. And in terms of dollars and cents, 10 to $30,000 a year, I'm going to say on average, 10 to $30,000 a year, maybe sometimes 50. Sometimes it's off the charts, off the charts. I met a fella for coffee years ago. And he said, I started my own independent consulting business. It's going pretty well. I'm, I'm pretty much booked up months into the future, but it's frustrating. It's a lot of hours. And I said, well, what's your hourly rate and how does it compare to the market? He says, the market is tiny. I, um, you know, translate technical material for education, primary education, kindergarten, first, second, third grade. I said, wow, what subject matter. He said, science, new learnings, you know, in science uh, for kids. And it's not even science ed, it's science. And then I make it uh, educational. I make it into curriculum for little pumpkins. And I was like, okay, that's awesome. What, what, what does the market look like? Oh, well, there's three big firms, educational, used to be textbooks. Now it's software firms and they contract with me and I take these texts and I make them into lessons. I was like, what? That's so cool. Yeah. I kind of have developed like a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year old perspective that I bring to this work. And I have, I have like three firms, two firms that use me a ton. And then one that uses me less often. And I, you know, I cobble together an income from that, but for consulting, it's, it's not as much money as I would think given that it's full time, you know, I'm making like $60,000 a year, but I got to pay my insurance. I have to pay this. I have to pay that. And I said, $60,000 a year. What do you, what's your billing rate? 
well, with one firm, you know, I charge them $35 an hour and the other firm I charge them $40 an hour. And I said, okay, that's pretty low. That's really, really low. Why do you charge them so little? I don't know. That's just what I've been charging. I'm afraid. I don't know. There might be other people who kind of do this stuff. I know there's a couple people that do it. I don't know if they're good or not, but you know, I'm just afraid to raise my price. Who hasn't been there as a consultant? I said, okay, but those are shockingly low rates for this kind of stuff, you know, translating dense, you know, actual scientific research from scientists and making it into curriculum for little kids. That's really praiseworthy and impressive. And, and it sounds like your stuff is really good. Yep. I think it is really good. I think you're right. I think I have to raise my prices. It's getting ridiculous with these low hourly rates. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I can't even pay my bills. Okay. Fantastic. Now, I said, you've used the word translate a couple times. Like, I translate this technical, scientific stuff into, you know, what children can understand. So, do you, do you just use that word because it's in, in the industry or that's how it occurs for you? And he just stops. And we're drinking coffee and he just, you know, has his coffee cup in his hand. And so, no, I literally translate it. I said, you translate it in terms of the language as well as from scientific research to kids speak? Yes. What languages are you translating from? Uh, Russian and Japanese. Russian and Japanese. You're translating dense scientific material from Russian and Japanese into English language curriculum for primary school, uh, 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 elementary school kids for $30 an hour. Yeah, no. No, that's, you could quadruple it. So he started doing it little by little. He set out a plan, testing the market. You know, we don't know. We're not outside ourselves. We don't have um, yardsticks. I was like, oh, it is so rarefied. That is so insanely rarefied. And you're good at it. And you might be the best person at this in the entire world. And he started raising his prices. But he needed just somebody that wasn't him to say, what? And we, we kind of all need that. So look for friends who can validate you and validate your experience because take it from me, we all undervalue what we bring. We all undervalue it. Betcha you are undervaluing yourself right now. And I mean that in the most uplifting, motivational, positive way. Not it's bad or you're bad for doing that. You were trained to undervalue yourself. You were taught to think less of yourself, particularly in the arena where services are bought and sold, the talent market. You were taught to think of yourself a level or two down. And you know what? As a job seeker, it can really hurt you to undervalue yourself, not just in terms of the jobs you apply for and the salary that you expect and ask for, but also in terms of just getting a job. Because if you undervalue yourself too much, then people think there must be something wrong and you're not qualified. This happens all the time. I get a lot of mail from people who say, oh, I talked to a recruiter about a job that would have been perfect for me. And then, you know, we got around to salary and um, they said, you know, I don't think you're earning enough to really be qualified for this job, which is another reason you should never tell a recruiter what you're earning. And nowadays, the good ones will not ask you what you're earning. They'll just ask you, what's your expectation? But it better be the right number. Right? So what if somebody said, hey, can you do translation from Russian and Japanese into English and make this um, dense medical, uh, scientific rather, 
information into primary school um, curricula. And you said, yeah, I, I, I would charge $35 an hour for that. Now, granted, this story is a few years ago, but still, okay, that's an extreme example. They would say, okay, this person doesn't really know what's required. They're not qualified. There's no way they're qualified. So you got to know that number to just for yourself, just for your own platform and for your own brand. That number is actually part of your brand, which doesn't mean you wouldn't do whatever you need to do to pay the rent, keep the lights on. Of course, we all would. We would do whatever. We would work a minimum wage job if we had to work a minimum wage job. That's part of life. And, and dealing with everyday life is what makes you a superhero. And, and never forget that. Taking care of what's in front of you. Maslow rules. You got to pay the rent. You got to have a roof over your head. And it's real. So there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you have leverage, when you feel your power, use your power. That's actually the only way to get more power is to use it. So here's a question related to that. Dear Liz, I just accepted a new job at least two levels lower than any job I've had in the last 10 years. Of course, I don't feel great about it, but I had to do it. How do I approach this job? That's a great question. How do you approach a job you would not have taken, but for the fact that, you know, right now you don't have better opportunities and you got to deal with reality and pay the bills? Because... We've also been trained to value ourselves according to our job title and to immediately see our careers as though we're a critical eye from outside saying, oh, what happened here? You took a step down in your career. Oh, you know, you stink. We tend to be our own worst critic in a situation like that and then step into a lower level job as though we're just a loser now because we have this job. No, you're a survivor, you're a superhero. You're a warrior, warrioress. You, you are strong because dealing with everyday life is the victory, in fact. And over time, in that job, no matter how long you have it, you're going to get some value and you're gonna be able to claim it. You're gonna make the full circle of recognizing, yeah, I did that. It was a really good experience for this and that reason, first of all, Facing and dealing with adversity always grows our muscles. But I also learned going back to a job similar to one that I did, or maybe the exact job I did 10 years ago, how much had changed, how much my perspective had changed, how much more I was able to bring to it while the market was going through all these shocks and shakes and it wasn't the right time to go to, you know, the, the former higher level, more exalted jobs I had had in the past. You're going to claim that as a power story. You're going to claim everything as a power story. There is nothing embarrassing or shameful in your background. Nothing, nothing, nothing. But we're shaking off, shaking out the toxic Kool-Aid, pretty much all of us guzzled gallons of that said, no, 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 your job title defines you and your steady career progression defines you. Yeah, no, hasn't been that way for years also a pandemic going on, right? But let it all go because keep in mind, only the people who get you deserve you. And if someone can't see your brilliance and talent, when you lay it out in your LinkedIn profile and a resume or on an interview, doesn't make them a bad person, but they're not the right person for you to work for at this juncture don't have anybody to grovel in front of. It's a, it's a weird thing to take in because we've been trained. You do have to grovel on a job search. You have to roll over and play 
dead and be the submissive dog and all that. And, um, you know, really for the right job, you don't. Now, right now, maybe you do. Right now, we're talking about Maslow and paying the rent. Who knows what you might have to do? You might have to, you know, fill out five applications to just get a minimum a wage job that you can just pay half of the rent, but you might have to do that, but it still doesn't change how you feel about yourself. I'm doing this because I have to do it. It's the next step on my path. And I'm working toward the situation that I've planned for myself where I'm going to be back in my power. I'm going to bring it out and I'm going to be choosier. And that's part of the muscles that I'm growing now is how to get there. So how do you approach this job? A, you could approach it like an acting gig because every job is an acting gig. doesn't mean you have to be fake, but it means that you're going to check out the setting. You're going to check out the other people. You're going to play the role. They literally call it a role, right? You're going to understand the scripts. You're going to learn the new environment. You're an anthropologist, you know, exploring new territory. You're going to check it out, but you're not going to value yourself based on uh, the, the business card, you're not going to think you are less than you ever were just because you had this job that feels like a step back in your career. It's a step sideways. You're going to get what you can get from the job. That means resume fodder, stories, perspective, contacts, right? You're going to see things differently in that job. And you don't have to wait. You, if you want to start job hunting in week three of the new job, you can. You can start job hunting at any time. All of us have to stay in pretty much constant job search mode or half job search mode now anyway. It's really sad when people contact me and say, oh, I hear from recruiters and headhunters and people that want to have virtual you know, lunch or coffee to talk to me about other jobs and other industries, but I feel disloyal. I don't want to be disloyal. It's not disloyal to have a network Everybody needs a network and so do you. None of that's disloyal. It's responsible. Responsible to yourself. The company that hired you hired you. They didn't adopt you. They're not going to take care of you for the rest of your life. You, you look out for yourself. You have a network. You know what kind of pain you solve. You know which employers are in the area that, that you could approach if you needed to. Or you just learn more about and follow them. Right? Stay alert, stay awake, because it's the ruts that hurt us the most. Even when you love your job, that's a rut too. It's a rut if you're shutting off all input from the outside world because you love your job so much. I'm thrilled that you love your job. I want you to love your job, but loving your job is not correlated with staying in the job or keeping the job if something changes. I'm not trying to be alarmist. This is the real world. And I'm here to remind you, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake.